Hello and welcome back to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm back in Palmerston, North New Zealand with um, Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church. And we're at King's Grace again. Rido, hi, how are oh, you? I'm good. How are you, Brent? I'm very well. Enjoyed my drive down today. It's quite nice outside. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside, apart from a traffic delay, a queue. What is now called by the Transport Authorities a queue, which was quite a long queue. Anyway, today we're looking at Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 31. Now, Ian, what did we see last week about the need to watch and to stay awake? Because we dealt with the very difficult apocalyptic passages of chapter 13. Yeah, there was all all these um, kind of commands by Jesus to watch, watch out, watch, you know, kind of uh, over and over again. And what were you watching out for? Well, he was coming back. It's basically what we're watching out for is that these things are going to happen. There's going to be wars and there's going to be um, kind of some terrible things going on. Uh, but he will return and he will come back and establish his kingdom. Mm. How do Jesus' warnings um, directly play into what happens in this chapter, do you think? Well, potentially he's actually saying, I'm going towards my death, that this is not the end. Uh, so I think chapter 13 could be predicting his death, whether it's predicting his death or his second coming or something else, or, or the destruction of the temple. We're not 100% clear on that. But what is clear is that Jesus is very close to his death, and he's saying, hey, be ready. I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to go away. And, but that's not the end. Now, in what ways in this passage do we have two days, two meals, and two plots? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the, these time really starts to slow down in Mark at this point. And so right at the beginning of Mark, you've got the word immediately, just kind of... All, all the time. You know, one after the other, mm. immediately, immediately, immediately. Uh, but here, across two days, uh, from chapter 14 right through to, to uh, the end of 15, uh, is kind of just, is covering two days. The day before Jesus' crucifixion, the day of his crucifixion, basically. Uh, you've, got, you've got two meals You've got this meal where Jesus is anointed in Bethany. Then you've got the the Lord's Supper. But then also two plots going on, one uh, by Judas and then one by the by others, particularly the, the people looking after the temple and the and the Pharisees and, and the Herodians, everyone kind of getting together to undo Jesus, basically, to put him to death. Mm. How does I think you probably already answered this question, but how does Mark use time? In the story at this point, yeah, I think, think you've already answered. It, really you? slow down here, mm, don't they? Mm, it's yes. kind of like it goes, it goes from day by day to minute by minute, really, mm. as it really slows down. Yes, uh, having rushed forward, Mark uh, gets you absolutely moving at um, a, a cracking pace at the mm. start of the gospel, and then suddenly things slow down. Yeah. Now, what are the religious elite planning in verses one and two? They want to kill oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite open, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting though, isn't it, that you do have this plot. Uh, of the the religious elite and of Judas, but there's also another plot really going on underneath, which is God's plot. You know, kind of through mm. this, and this this is the most important thing to see uh, through this, particularly chapter fourteen, isn't it? That this there's none of this that is not planned very meticulously by by Jesus uh, and by God the Father. You know, kind of working together to fulfil their plans. Let's come on and read verses 1 to 9 of 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were asking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. 
And while he was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Uh, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Okay, Rito, what happens at the first meal then? So they're, they're eating at um, this person's house, Simon the leper. Now, that's not a great nickname, is it? No, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, I was called Big Nose at school, right? <laughs> and, you know, you kind of, it's, it's just one of those things that stick you, with, sticks with you that, you know, was it, what's the phrase? Sticks and stones will may break my moments, but... Um, names will never hurt me. Nicknames will stay forever. Oh, all right. <laughs> you know, you kind of that that must have been the you know. But the question is, is Simon someone that Jesus healed? Kind of so straight away here, you know, you kind of you're thinking, man, that's a random name to have, you know, kind of for someone. Uh, this guy Simon the leper. But then you know, it seems like maybe he's someone that 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 heals. And this woman comes in. We, we're not told who she is uh, exactly. We don't exactly know. You know, kind of there's speculation about who it is. But she has this very expensive jar of perfume and she anoints Jesus with it. Well, we've asked the next question, what does a woman do for Jesus? I suppose she anoints him for burial in one sense. Yes, mm. that, that's what she's doing. She's anointing him uh, for his burial because that's what you would do. You would uh, pour perfume or you know, kind of beautiful oil and, and, and nice smelling things uh, over the body before you put them you know, kind of in a, in a tomb. Mm. Now, uh, people are a bit shocked and... Um, this then leads into the, the the plot with Judas. But how do people at the meal respond to the woman's gift? They don't like it, do they? No. <laughs> that and these jars were very very expensive. They weren't actually ever to really to be used. They were family heirlooms that would pass from one generation to the next. Uh, and so th- that's you know kind of to use it like this would be is is kind of is crazy in in some regards. But they don't hate they they don't like it because. Well, they say, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. That sounds very religious, though, doesn't it? Very pompous. Mm. Uh, very pompous and pious. And um, yes. D- um, does a woman's anointing push Judas to his betrayal? I mean, he's got the money bags. He's the, kind of like the church treasurer and he objects to this. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of hard, isn't it, to kind of to know exactly what's going on there because you've got that in verse 10, which we haven't read, but we'll get to, isn't it, that, that Judas does go out and, and betray Jesus. Now, the question is, what, what is Judas' motivation to do it? And Well, your you know, sermon... We're we going to get to that in a Your second. sermon was interesting on this point because I'd never actually thought of what you suggested. Okay. Which was that he's trying to... I mean, I've just always read it that he's out to get Jesus mm. and make some money because he's frustrated. But you make the point. Well, you, you tell us what you... Well, well maybe. I, you know, I'm not saying that this is definitely the case. But but maybe it's more than greed. I think greed's a factor in it. Uh, but maybe it's more than that because he's called Judas Iscariot. You know what? What does is what's the Iscariot thing? I can't remember. Sorry, I can't remember either. I'll, I'll, you carry on talking. I'll look it up. But the Judas is actually wanting Jesus uh, to confront the religious authorities, and he knows that Judas that Jesus isn't going to do it by sword, and so he tries to push Jesus to do it, and so he's kind of. 
erring the, the, the religious authorities to come into fight uh, with him, uh, rather, you know, kind of come and fight with Jesus rather than just kind of go and submit to him. So he doesn't want, he doesn't want Jesus to really die. He wants to, Jesus to go into battle. From Latin Iscariota, from Greek Iscariotes, said to be from the Hebrew man of Kerioth, the liar or the false one, possibly, from the Hebrew. Mm. So yes, so there you go. So he's not got a good pedigree. Maybe it's another nickname. <laughs> That's not great. Yeah, no, not at all. Now, how must our attitude to money then be guided by love? Do you think, Rito? Well, yeah, isn't that this this the thing that that you know, it's the complete opposite to the reaction of the people there? That they're, they're only saying it out of greed, aren't they? That that you know, kind of the you know, this money could be used uh, to for for the given to the poor. They're only saying that because they would never actually do that themselves. No. I, th- I think it's kind of revealing their hearts there. Uh, but for us, our attitude kind of ha- always has to be how what I receive, I receive with thankfulness from God. And so then how I use it must be used for the love of others. Mm. How does Jesus respond there in verses 6 to 9? I love the leave her alone. Yeah, just, <laughs> leave, just leave her alone. Leave her alone. <laughs> yeah, you know, why, are you, why are you bothering? It's interesting, isn't it? He says, the poor you will always have with you. It's kind of an interesting kind of statement. that mm. Jesus hasn't actually come to end poverty at this stage. You know, mm. kind of it's... That poverty is a a natural part of of a world racked by sin, it will always be there and it cannot be undone. You know, this, this is what humans do to each other. He, is, he will end poverty. He will end poverty in the future. And humans should work hard at, uh, particularly, I think the, the church and Christians should work hard at trying to to, to stop those things. Uh, but it's a never-ending cycle. But it's interesting, isn't he, that he doesn't he doesn't rebuke her. He actually he commends her for what she's done. Verses ten to eleven. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And they he sought an opportunity to betray him. So there you go. In what sense then is this the second plot in the passage? Well, well, I think you've got yeah, got Judas for whatever reason, whether it's because he's trying to get Jesus to show his hand. And kind of do battle with the, the religious people or not, but he has gone to them to to betray Jesus. So he's got his own plot kind of going on, doesn't he? Mm. Well, we talked about Judas's motivation, and we talked about Judas forcing Jesus to show his hand. Uh, so this is a betrayal, then, but also a misguided attempt to bring about a revolution. Yeah, that's what I think it, that that it is. Mm. Is that the, the, I I kind of see this as a more of a revolutionary moment that the, this, this is kind of an attempt to undo the religious elites kind of rule and particularly probably the Roman rule uh, over Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's carry on. Verses 12 to 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And whenever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after the other, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. 
For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. There we go. Is that 25? No, not quite. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Okay, what happens in the second and final meal? So what we have here, uh, and it's introduced right at the beginning there in verse 12, it says, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb. So the, the Passover, uh, kind of as the, as the, the Israelites were leaving Egypt, you kind of brought out by God. You have these two feasts put together. And it's this really interesting thing that the the Passover goes for seven days. On the last day of that, you sacrifice the Passover lamb, and then you have the feast of unleavened bread, which is to signify your leaving. So they had to run, you know, kind of they're running away. But there's one day that that, they, that these two feasts cross over. So the first day of of the unleavened bread and the and the last day of the Passover is this most significant point in Israel's history on this one day. So is this the Passover meal then, or is this the night before the Passover? Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Because this, the Jewish day ran from sunset to sunset, didn't it? Yeah. yeah so, rough, and and, and Jesus dies when the Passover lambs are slaughtered. Yes. So he's got to have this meal the night before. Yeah. But it does, does, it does, it does mm. refer to it being a Passover meal, doesn't it? It does refer to it being a Passover meal. Uh, um, verse 14, say to the owner of the house, he enters, yeah. the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat? The Passover with my disciples. Mm. So he's having it a, either he's on a different calendar to everybody else, or he's having it a day early or a night, the night before, because he knows he's going to be he's going to be dying at that mm. time. Yeah, yep. lots of uh, uh, different points of view about that. But it could be uh, because he's eating it in the evening, right? So it's kind of the after sunset. So he's eating it on the same day that he's oh, sacrificed. He's eating it on the same day. Like he's in the same twenty-four hour period. Yeah, yeah. He's eating yeah. it. He's eating it in the same day. Yeah, mm. yeah. But he's not having it. So he just has it in the technically early. Yes, I think so. Yeah, it seems to be the mm. the. I mean, some people have suggested it's using he's using different calendar, a different calendar, but I don't know. So, what does Jesus say to the disciples during the meal then? Someone's going to betray me. <laughs> yes, know, pretty, you know, pretty of, blunt. Um, yeah, it's not going to be good. For them, you know, what does he say? Woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. That's a pretty pretty big thing. But the big thing uh, is the verse 22 and 23, the giving of the bread, mm. then the giving of the cup. Um, so take it. This is my body. And then you know, drink and then giving thanks and offering the, the drink. This is, my, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, you know, kind of the the significance of that kind of lives on, obviously, as God's command, as Jesus' command uh, to continue on doing this very thing to signify his death and resurrection. Yeah. Now, what does Jesus mean by the new covenant? And how does this new covenant differ from the old covenant? Yeah, I think this is this is why it's in the context of the Passover meal that this is given, right? Is that in the context of the Exodus, You, what do you have? You have a covenant given. Uh, and how is that covenant signified? It's by blood. And so what does Jesus say in verse 24? This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. In the first covenant, how was the blood wasn't poured out, but it was sprinkled on, on, on the priests and all of Israel to signify that the covenant blood had been, had been put on them. 
to, to go forward. But Jesus is saying this is the new covenant. This is that covenant fulfilled. The covenant of the law, the, the Mosaic covenant, is being fulfilled in my blood. I'm fulfilling it. I'm going to fulfill it on the cross. Mm. So, yes, so Jesus is the new Passover lamb. Yes. yes. Well, he not, not well. you want to say yes and no, right? He's, yeah. he's not just the new one. He is the Passover yes, lamb yes. in terms of that the old Passover yes. lamb mm. has always been pointing forward to, right? Yes. Do we need to discuss a bit more about the significance of the Passover meal? I think you've probably already dealt with that in the Exodus context, haven't you? How does this passage refer or point forward to Jesus' resurrection and reign then? Well, you know, kind of this is the verse 25. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So is he talking about his, he, he, he must be talking about a future time, right? Mm. After this point, after his death. So it, it must be after his resurrection, whether he is specifically referring to the kingdom of God coming at his resurrection or at his ascension or at his second coming, we're not, it's not 100% clear there, is it? But what what we do know is that uh, Jesus is speaking about the future, that this is not the end. You know, I will die, uh, and you will have to remember that, uh, but that's not the end. You kind of, we, we drink and we eat for the hope of the, the, the new covenant kind of being actually fully enacted when we're with Jesus forever. Mm. Last part of the passage, 26 to 31. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Okay. What, what do you reckon was the hymn that they sung? I, I, I don't know. Jer- Jerusalem, you know, kind of the great English. No, I don't think so, really. <laughs> Not at that point. It would have been um, presumably a psalm, possibly. Or a, Most probably. Part of the Jewish liturgy. Yep. How are these verses then a huge disappointment? What, what are we expecting here, right? We're expecting kind of this is Jesus' triumphal moment. He's kind of, he's, he's come to Jerusalem. He's going to be crowned its king. What do we have Jesus talking about? You're going to, you're going to run away from me. Kind of, we're expecting the revolution, and what do we get? We're we're just about to get everyone leaving him and him going to, to his death. It's mm. kind of it, it's a hugely disappointing moment, mm. but at the same time, God is revealing Himself fully at this moment, and He's also revealing humanity's sin. You know, kind of both together at the same time. Yes, that as God reveals Himself, He shows what He is really like. He's not a God that comes down with a heavy hand, but He comes down on a cross to to die. It doesn't come to, to destroy everyone. He comes to be destroyed. But for that to happen, he reveals humanity's sin. Of what humanity's sin does, which is only do, does one thing, it destroys us and it destroys everything around it. Poor old Peter, I feel a bit sorry <laughs> for him here. I'm never going to. Yeah. No, no, I know. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Well, It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's so real. Yes, right? it is. It is. It is. You can see it. Have you ever made a promise like that? You know, you, you kind of like 10 minutes later, you're like, oh. I really, I'm going to have to go through with this yeah, now. No, 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 no. Must have, yeah. Anyway, what, so what does Jesus say to Peter then? Well, you're going to deny me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're kind of, and, and Peter's just emphatic, isn't he? Verse 31, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Peter, Peter, you know, kind of, it's a bit harsh because it's just, you know, he's the one that gets signified and, and all the others are there with him doing exactly the mm. same thing. Mm. But that, that's why it's probably Peter's memoirs. Yes, yes. He's being very honest, isn't he? Yeah. And, and kind of, because Peter by this point is probably the somewhat a leader of the church by the time this has been written. 
And so who else would possibly denigrate such, you know, the one of the great apostles except that, that apostle himself? Mm. Okay, uh, finishing up, Rita, what do we take away from this passage? Beautiful passage. It is a beautiful passage, mm. isn't it? And I think it's one of those passages where you need to just sit sit with it and kind of read it multiple times to mm. to see what Jesus is doing. That this is not a mistake, though. I think that for me, that's that's one of the big things is that Jesus is willingly going to his death. He knows exactly the pathway set before him. Is he afraid? Quite possibly, probably, as particularly as we get to the next passage. Uh, but is he still willingly going there? Yes, he is. And mm. so I think this is a this is a Jesus that's worth following, isn't he? Mm. Yes, magnificent. All right, Rito, uh, the Reverend Ian Reed of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston, North New Zealand. Thank you so much. And we'll finish this um, series off. It's been a rather long series, Rito, because it's taken us so long to get through it all. But I think it's been, um, I've, I've got a, had a great blessing out of it. And I hope you have too, listening, oh, definitely. wherever yeah, you are in the world, that you've had a blessing out of this great gospel of Mark. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge, who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Ian, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Brent. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.